Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles this evening, and we're going to turn to the book of Leviticus, where we'll find ourselves in just a moment. We're focusing tonight on another contemporary Christian concern. The Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32 that the children of Issachar were men that had understanding of their times to know what Israel should do. Such people are needed in our times, people of understanding who understand their times and know what God's people should do. After all, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says in verse 1 that in the end times, perilous times will come. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, we discover that evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Our theme this evening is a difficult theme. We're going to be talking about critical race theory. Perhaps you've heard that phrase on the news. Perhaps you've studied that topic in a local university or college. It is a theme that God's people need to be aware of because it's radically impacting the foundations of our society. And many times people wonder, what's happening Have I landed on another planet somewhere? And let me just tell you, this evening we're just going to float over the surface of this topic, but hopefully giving you enough of a biblical foundation uh, to allow each of us to have understanding of our times and realize that as 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1 says, they are perilous times indeed, times that require prayer and times that require perseverance on the part of God's people. So let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word. Father, now tonight I pray that you would give me wisdom as I share a theme that uh, to me is rather unknown, but very necessary for us as a church to consider, for we know it's impacting more things in the workplace and in our schools and in our politics than we could ever imagine. So Lord, tonight I pray that you would help me to have a tender heart, to be honest with the things that are around about us, and also to be honest and edifying based on your word so that we can square off and understand in the marketplace of ideas how your word would integrate and make a difference. Lord, I pray that you would send us out from this service tonight with the spirit of peace as a congregation and your blessing, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. I should have mentioned there are outline sheets that are there in the foyer tonight. If you want to slip out and grab one, they're at the front desk As you come in tonight, you can grab one on your way if you want to follow along, but uh, thank you each one who did pick that up on the way in, and we try to do that Sunday night by Sunday night. Do you feel like the world is suddenly speaking a different language, and you wonder, where have I been? Do you find yourself confused by terms? But there are all kinds of terms that we think, "What, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about white fragility and systematic racism? There are words and concepts that are swirling round about us, and they are words and concepts that have been swirling round about academic circles, really, for decades. These words and concepts have spawned disciplines today that are in our colleges and universities, like post-colonial studies, critical pedagogy, whiteness studies, and, of course, what we're going to be thinking about tonight, which is critical race theory. And you need to know that all of these various studies and all of these various branches that sound so unique to some of our ears come from critical theory, and critical theory indeed is popularly known 
as social Marxism. Social Marxism. Have you formulated any type of a Christian perspective on the topic of critical race theory? When you hear all these terms, you should not be confused, but you should rather prayerfully say, how do I as a believer interface with the culture in which I'm now living? Before we look into critical race theory this evening, I think there's some things that we need to look at together, foundational truths. The first foundational truth that we need to consider is this. Racism is sin. It's sin. It's the sin of partiality. A lot of people will say, well, I I know racism's thin. It it just sounds wrong. It, It can't be right. But no, biblically, racism is the sin of partiality. I've asked you to open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. We're in Leviticus chapter 19, and you may want to put a mark by the 15th verse, because here we have revealed the sin of partiality And it's a cross-cultural sin. It's a sin for the ages. It's a universally applicable sin. Whether a person be living in China or India or America in 2021, the sin of partiality is a biblically defined sin. We find in verse 15, "...ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor." There are times when judgment is necessary, even times when judgment is necessary with regard to whom we're going to have fellowship. But that judgment should never be passed based on class or skin color or educational background. No, the Word of God forbids the sin of partiality. And whether the sin of racism is in the law or whether it's in someone's behavior, in either case, The sin of racism is a biblically defined sin because it's the sin of partiality. Did you know that race as a category denoting skin color and ethnicity was first classified as such when the human body was looked over carefully and studied by a French physician by the name of Francois Bernay? Bernay came up with the concept of race. Now, ethnicity, we're going to find that concept in the Bible. But race, no, that's a modern concept. In fact, in 1735, Linnaeus, the scientist in his natural history, explored the topic of race further. But the Bible knows nothing of race other than the human race. The Bible classifies us all together as sons and daughters of Adam and gives to us the responsibility not to walk with partiality when it comes to our affairs and dealings with others. Those who fail to understand the sin of racism are failing to understand the sin of partiality. And so those who are responsible in our country for weaving together what now are commonly known as Jim Crow laws or those who have been responsible in our country to to codify their racial preferences, whether it be in the law books or just in simple social conduct, freezing some out and opening doors to others, they all together have been guilty of the sin of partiality. Some people think people of color, in fact, this is being taught today, that people of color can't be racist. That's not true. You can commit the sin of partiality regardless of your color. So we begin with this foundational truth. Racism is sin. 
And then we move to a second foundational tr truth, if this thing will work again. Oh, there we go. A Christian's primary identity is Christ. A Christian's primary identity is in Christ, not in their demographic. Again, race is a modern social construct. Ethnicity is not. Paul celebrated the fact that he was a Jew. He was thankful for that. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he, he discusses his pedigree. He talks about being from the tribe of Benjamin. He talks about being a Pharisee. He talks about as being under the law. Perfect. But do you remember what he said? All these things I count as dung. Refuge. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. The Apostle Paul was very clear in making his primary identity, his blessed identity, the identity of being a believer in Christ. And Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 tells us that we have this common overarching identity that draws our hearts together, that makes us a community. Galatians 3 and verse 28 says, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. Now, it's not, say, it's not saying there's no such thing as a male or a female. It's not saying there's no such thing as a Jew or a Gentile. It's simply saying that because we have this overarching identity in Christ, we have a primary identity. And our primary identity is not our ethnic background. Our primary identity is not our community background, our educational background, regardless of the school that you identify with. But our primary identity is our identity in Christ. And then we realize that every believer is equal in Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Every believer is equal to every other believer in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. We begin our reading in verse 3. Believers are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Realizing there is one body and one Spirit even as you're called in one hope of your calling, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Real reconciliation happens at the time of our redemption. What do you mean, Pastor Phelps? When you're redeemed, when you come to trust Christ as Savior, your sins are forgiven. When you enter into the body of Christ then, with sins forgiven. You enter in with a clean slate. You enter with an opportunity for a new life in Christ within a community that he's purchased by his blood. Just ask the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul who'd been guilty of sanctioning the murder of Stephen. My, how the Christians feared him. And well, they should. But my, how they accepted him when they saw the radical work that the Spirit of God had done in that rabbi to make one who persecuted the church to be a foundation of the church. Even so, when we come to Christ as Savior, the arms of fellow believers ought to wrap round about us and our heartbeat ought to be one. That means that no believer, listen, no believer needs to come into the fellowship of the saints and repent of all of their racial, cultural, social wrongs of the past. And that's important. Because as we come to discover in critical race theory, there's the requirement of repentance of sins committed in the past that we're not even aware of. And we dare not be taken in by such a thought. 
Take your Bibles and go back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24 for just a moment. We're laying some foundation. I trust it will be helpful for you. We cannot, we cannot repent of sins that we've not committed. Deuteronomy chapter 24, the 16th verse, a clear principle. Deuteronomy 24 and verse 16, the fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. We're going to discover momentarily that critical race theory looks at the past, at those who came before in generations past, and requires of the present generation a repentance of the sins of their forefathers that they really had no part or even knowledge of. Thank the Lord that every believer is equal in Christ without any need to come into the church and repent of all of one's past sins. Praise the Lord, they're under the blood of Jesus Christ and we're accepted in the Beloved. Another foundational truth, God's Word is sufficient. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect or mature, truly furnished Under every good work, what does that mean in this application? It means this, that regardless of what the theory is, regardless of what acronym describes it, every social theory can be looked at through the lens of God's Word, including critical race theory. And God's Word gives to us wisdom. You see, as we look into critical race theory this evening, we're going to discover that experience, especially if it's experience as one who's been oppressed, Experience surpasses knowledge. Experience surpasses social standing. Experience as an oppressed person puts you on the quick ladder to opportunity within the realms of critical race theory. For the believer, we say, time out. God's Word makes wisdom available to all, regardless of background, regardless of circumstance. We find an equality in God's Word for every situation in our lives. So to build a Christian perspective on critical race theory, we need to have these foundational truths in our mind and then ask four questions. And we'll deal with them rather quickly this evening. But the foundations of critical race theory go back to the 1960s and 1970s. Critical theory is how racism works to maintain a semblance of power of one who is an oppressor over somebody who is oppressed. Critical theory gave birth to something in the 60s and 70s called critical legal studies. How legal institutions are established and laws are put in place to exploit the weak and the oppressed. Critical race theory springs out of that. It was launched in 1989 in a workshop. Critical theory has often also given birth to other types of sociological studies. Again, critical theory, the background of how one group oppresses another, and it's given birth to studies like Asian studies, women's studies, LGBTQ studies. Critical theory is behind a lot of things. And so we note this evening that Kimberly Crenshaw, who's an expert on the topic, would note that as a founding scholar of critical race theory, it's a practice, a way of seeing how the the friction of race has been transformed into concrete racial inequities. There's a research study that was done by Purdue 
And the research study from Purdue said, critical race theory is a theoretical and interpretive mode that examines the appearance of racism across dominant cultural modes of expression. Critical race theory scholars attempt to understand how victims of systematic racism are affected by cultural perceptions of race and how they're able to represent themselves to counter prejudice. If you feel right now like, oh, Pastor Phelps is sounding like we're in a college classroom, that's okay. Take a breath. We'll be all right. Crenshaw did an interview with Time Magazine and noted this. She said, critical race theory is an approach to grappling with a history of white supremacy that rejects that belief that what's in the past is past. So it's looking at white supremacy, rejecting the thought that what's in the past is past, and that the laws and the systems that grow from the past are detached from it. In other words, what's in the past is not in the past, and what we see in the law and the systems today continues to be this white supremacy. So when we ask the question, where is critical race theory found? And the answer to that question is everywhere. Tom Curry, the associate professor at Texas A&M, says the influence of critical race theory on academic thought in the past few decades has been so thorough that it would be effectively impossible to stop its use even if the words critical race theory don't come up. It survives and grows within the culture, often imperceptibly. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere in academia. It's everywhere in politics. And it's increasingly everywhere in religion. Critical race theory is a core philosophy of the modern social justice movement. And how does it work? This is where the rubber begins to hit the road. Richard D'Angelo and Jean Stefanczyk's book, Critical Race Theory and Introduction, is a compendium of thought on the topic, and it's well known by those who study this. They define critical race movement, the critical race theory movement, as a collection of activists and scholars interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. They build their theory on four premises. Four premises, and we'll see if they'll come up. First, racism is ordinary. It's not aberrational. It's everywhere. Racism is ordinary. It's not aberrational. Second pillar, racism serves important purposes, primarily the purpose of keeping one group within society down while elevating and keeping in power others. Race and racism are products of social thought that society invents and retires when convenient. The society puts these thoughts in place in positions of power, inventing these thoughts reinterpreting them along the way. And then, how does it work? It works through something called intersectionality. No person has a singular loyalty, and so you have different points of contact and identity. Those diversities are celebrated, but they're celebrated understanding that within those diversities, you might find yourself increasingly oppressed. And so, racism is a systematic feature of social structure. Again, Delgado and Stefanczyk, in their critical race theory introduction, say this. Critical race theory is a collection of activists and scholars interested, interested in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. It not only tries to understand our social situation, but to change it. 
Critical race theory assumes that people of color are inherently oppressed and marginalized by power structures that are rooted in white privilege and white supremacy. It's committed to transforming the perceived oppressions that it identifies. Now, I want to pause here this evening and say, in any sociological study, there will be glimmers of truth that we say, I can identify with that. I can, I can see some of those things happening. And we shouldn't be discouraged or angered by some who see those things happening more than others. That's not our calling. Our calling is to ask the question, how does this fit into what I understand on the basis of God's Word? How does it fit into my biblical worldview? Neil Shenby says, contemporary critical theory views reality through the lens of power, dividing people into oppressed groups and oppressor groups along various axes like race, class, gender, sexual orientation, physical ability, and age. Which leads us to the final question tonight. And remember, I said we're going to just take a flyover, but offer, I trust, enough biblical perspective that when you are encountering this in the newspaper, not that anybody reads that anymore, or on the internet, or in the airwaves as you're listening to news, that you'll have a perspective that will be helpful to you and help you to land God's way on the topic. The question that we're going to be asking in a moment is, critical race theory biblical? But as we ask that question, you need to understand the foundation of critical race theory is a target group that is oppressed and someone who is oppressing. And there are so many and so diverse within culture. And so we can look at people of color and say their oppression that they face is racism, primarily by the oppressor who would be called the Western European whites in particular, the target group, the poor, they're victims of classism. And the classism is oppressed by the owning class, women and transgender people. The oppression that they face might be sexism. And so those who are oppressing are typically male, LGBT. And so you get the idea, whether it be Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Jews facing religious oppression. Interestingly, of course, the oppressor would be Christianity. And I have to say, as a pastor, when I read these things, I have to pause and not allow emotions to get involved. Because my reality is, having traveled to various places in the world, I've seen Christians not simply oppressed, but I've been in places where Christians have been imprisoned and killed. Oppression happens globally. The focus of critical race theory is a global focus. Immigrants, they fall victim to nationalism by the citizens of that country. The indigenous people to colonialism, typically by white settlers. And so we ask tonight, is critical race theory biblical and how do we interface with critical race theory? Critical race theory is a worldview. A worldview is a story that answers life's questions. People use the technical term a meta-narrative. It is a big encompassing story that answers the question of life. So, Christians hold to a worldview. We have a meta-narrative. We have a story that answers the questions of life. And so the Christian meta-narrative is this. We are created by God. Because of Adam's sin, Romans 5 tells us, as in Adam all die. Sin has come upon all of us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Praise the Lord within that meta-narrative, there's the joy of redemption through the cross of Calvary, that Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of the whole world. And the blessing of knowing restoration in Christ by the power of the Spirit of God that one day will allow us together as the people of God to stand redeemed and singing His praises. Now the meta-narrative of critical race theory begins with evolution. There is no God. And from evolution there has come this terrible oppression. Those in power are placing their power upon others, often unwillingly these that are subjected to such power. The only answer then becomes activism, casting off the power. And that activism brings about liberation. Have you asked yourself the question, how is it that certain groups in our country right now can get away with violent, ongoing protests without arrest and seemingly uh, without any legal penalty? Well, you have to understand, it's activism. And it's activism that's leading to the point of liberation. It's a different worldview. But for the Christian, the worldview is very different. We come beginning with an understanding of creation. So created in the image of God, all of us, created in the image of God, will one day give account to God as we stand before Him. And so we want to teach restoration versus liberation. Critical race theory requires people to be categorized as categories of people of power, people of privilege, people who are oppressed, people who are powerless, people who are marginalized. Such a view fails to understand something that is indeed biblically critical, and that's this. It fails to understand the sovereignty of God. I want to be careful. I don't believe that the sovereignty of God is racist, but I do believe in the sovereignty of God. The Bible reminds us promotion comes not from the east or the west or from the south, but God is judge. He lifts up one and he puts down another. God is sovereign. We need to recognize God's sovereignty. And all of us, all of us are under some level of hierarchy, right? The Bible reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and elsewhere that we're to respect and reverence the kings who are placed over us. Romans chapter 11 reminds us that we're supposed to look with respect to the civil government that is over us. All of us are subject to some other authority and power over us. And none of us particularly like it. Because our sin nature pushes against. We are rebels from birth. Running from God and running from restrictions. And So when we come to the topic of critical race theory, we have to be reminded that where we're born is not a matter of our choice. How we look is not a matter of our choice. <clears throat> It's a matter of God's choice, and God is sovereign. Scott Annual says it this way, Critical race theory assesses goodness and badness based on race and class and power. The Bible, in contrast, assesses goodness and badness based on conformity of actions to God and to His moral law. And that is indeed true. Goodness and badness is not a matter of race or color or nationality or schools attended, or other affinities. No, goodness and badness is the moral standard set by God's Word. This shall be our righteousness, if we observe to do all thy commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. The Bible presents every man as a sinner, regardless of their background. And sin has nothing to do with class, nothing to do with power, nothing to do with nationality. 
certainly nothing to do with race. Scripture demands colorblindness. It demands class blindness. It demands power blindness. That all people are created in the image of God. Praise the Lord. All created in His image. In the image of God created He them. Male and female created He them. And all then must be judged equally. Discrimination of any kind is wrong based on God's Word. The Bible teaches there's only one race. And that race is the human race. Adam called his wife's name Eve. And she was the mother of all living. And so God determines ethnicity. God determines power. God determines class. Critical race theory is about discovering and fueling division. Certainly not unity. The Bible perspective that we bring is there's unity that can be found in Christ. And what a blessing to be able to proclaim that Revelation 5 and verse 9 says, One day, every nation, tongue, tribe, and people will gather together at last before the Lord. That's our message. And what a thrilling message in a time of great confusion. And so as I indicated, we've just taken a skim over. But hopefully as we've skimmed over, you're realizing, light bulb, I've heard that on the news. I, I see where that's coming from. But the big message for us tonight is, it's a whole different worldview. And so we're in a clash of worldviews. May God help us to be discerning in that clash of worldviews to say, I thank the Lord for the good news. The good news is the gospel. That in Christ, neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, male or female, there's an equality, as the old timers always said, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. What you've heard has been an encouragement to you. Please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. And we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.